let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, St. Paul urges us in Colossians 3.16. That is our word for today, and this is the Living the Word Bible Podcast, where I talk with other women about the Bible and the difference it makes in our lives. I'm Sarah Chris Meyer, General Editor of the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible and author of the book, Becoming Women of the Word. My guest today is Catherine Katie Cavadini, teaching professor at Notre Dame University and also a contributor to the Women's Bible. Katie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, everyone. So glad to be here, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me. You know, Katie, I have such admiration for you teaching required courses in scripture and theology to undergrads. I imagine many of them are not religious. Maybe they're just taking it for the credit. What's that like? What's the biggest challenge for you? Well, first, let me say I really love teaching these classes, especially to our freshmen who've, you know, recently set foot on campus. I suppose sometimes they're a semester in if they take it in the spring. But I really love it. I get a lot of energy from it. I suppose the greatest challenge is that when your students walk in your classroom, you don't necessarily know what this group of students is going to be like. Every class has its own personality, you know, as all these individuals come together. And some of them feel very, very, very familiar with scripture. And that in itself can be a challenge to (laughs) ask them to take a second look or maybe it's a third or a fourth or a fifth look, but to, to see that this text still has something to offer to you, mm-hmm. right? So to work with those students who feel so familiar with the text, right? I've done this all through high school and some of them are like, I already know it, I'm good. Some of them are like, I'm kind of tired of it. So there's needs there, right? To open them back up to reading scripture. Then there's students who come in and are kind of scared. I've never read scripture. I don't know what you're talking about. They're a little bit easier because they're kind of very open and interested in what, what is this thing? What do you have to say about it? And then there's also sometimes a perspective of, I've already kind of decided that I don't think this text has anything to say to me, that it doesn't have anything to do with the world in which I live. So right, that's a third kind of a challenge. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you don't know what scripture is exactly. So also, let's have a second look. Let's open this text up and see what does it have to offer to you today? So all those challenges can be present in the classroom at once, right? So you walk in, here's your class, here's their personality, here's the challenges you have. And I love meeting any one of those challenges because scripture to me is so enriching and so beautiful and challenging and intellectually stimulating. And so can I show that to my students? I love that challenge. It's a lot of fun. That's, that's wonderful. And I, just, I can't imagine how you do all those three at once, but is there something that you find that, <laughs> that every year without fail, this gets them interested? Yeah. So without fail, what tends to get them interested is that scripture is not what I thought it was. Hmm. Right. And it, in some ways, it's not what I thought it was for all these groups in the same way. I mean, some of them don't know what it is, but others aren't prepared to see the depth that is there and mm. the intellectual rigor that is there. And that this is a text unlike any other text, right? God speaks to you through it. And mm. so to encounter God in a text is also a new thing sometimes for them. And so, for example, this semester, I really tried to introduce my students to this idea that the scriptural language has this space in it within which you work. And so we have to find our way into that space 
and see how big it is and see how nice it is to move in that space and what we can discover there. And I think that kind of piqued their interest, right? Like, what, what do you mean? What kind of a text is this? And so to give them these little footholds, right, places where they can make entry points, I think piques their interest. And if they then take a step in and realize, you're right, there's this space in here and I can live and breathe in here. They like that. So, yeah. So can you give an example? Like, what's, a, what's your favorite foothold? Where's <laughs> um, <laughs> a good space? There's a lot of them. And I, when I teach this class, so it's a semester long class. We give an overview of what revelation actually is, what theology actually is, the place of revelation in doing theology. But we really move through scripture from the beginning. So I don't heed the wise advice of some of the fathers in our tradition, like Origen, who's like, that's the worst place to start. These are really good <laughs> stories. But they're also stories that the students have, if they're one of these students who's familiar with scripture, they've heard a hundred times and they don't necessarily want to hear it again. And if they're someone who thinks this doesn't speak to me, you have to show them, well, this is a different kind of a text than you think. And so there's so many great places in these creation stories to grab those footholds. So you're talking about stories like Adam and Eve or Noah, you know, I remember the first time I started teaching Genesis, one of my neighbors said to me, oh, so you're teaching children? And when I said it was adults, he was like flabbergasted that adults would actually want to hear these stories. So you're able to bring your students in in a way that they find something meaningful for today. I think I am. They seem to, in their papers and things, say that back to me. So I believe it's happening. But it's, it's just so much fun to see them even in class, right? They have these moments where they're like, aha, and you can see it on their face. And it's so encouraging, you know, nice. they're, they're, they're with you. So. Well, your enthusiasm is catching. <laughs> and I, my next question would be, were you once like those students? You know, where does your love of scripture come from? Um, I don't know where I would compare my sort of college self. I have a unique sort of entry point into the studying of scripture. And I also have a unique childhood, I think, in some ways, because both of my parents are theologians. Mm. I went to public school. So I feel like I had some idea always of this world of theology. I don't think I really understood what it was. So when I came, I was happy to be there, but also very ready to learn. And when I suppose I actually became interested in scripture itself was therefore in a very intellectual way, right? Given Mm. this childhood background. And then, so I did my undergrad at Notre Dame. So the class I'm teaching, I took. Oh, how about that? (laughs) The Bible I teach that class out of is the Bible I bought to take that class many years ago now. But my real interest in scripture was when I started reading commentaries on scripture. So it wasn't Mm. actually the, the text itself of scripture that really captured my interest. But learning from other people, I mean, other people being Augustine, Origen, Gregory the Great, Catherine of Siena, right? All these people from the tradition who had themselves been captured by scripture and its eloquence and its beauty and its depth. And they showed that to me, right? So I often think of the pages of scripture. You always know them, right? They're um, thin and they make this noise. This is my Bible (laughs) here, right? But there's so much depth there. There's so much beauty. And so like Gregory the Great is someone who I love for the number of analogies he has for speaking about the text of scripture and that space, 
that's provided by it is just myriad and it's captivating. And I thought, I need to go and explore what this space is. And so then I sort of became more attentive under their tutelage, right, to the text of scripture itself. Yeah. What's what's one of those analogies? One of those pictures? A forest. I love the forest. the forest, that scripture is this forest in which you can go and you can walk. You know, like the cool of the shade is a nice place to repose and that you would mm. sort of meander in this this world, this space and feel, I guess, nourished isn't the, it doesn't fall on the analogy here, but, but refreshed. It's like, it's like Narnia kind of, you walk into this other world and it opens up before you and yeah. is a place for you to be. Ooh. I know I always think of scripture as a place where I can meet God. I, I imagine myself sitting on a bench in a park or something and Jesus sitting next to me and talking to me. And yeah. it's a very unique thing about the text yeah. of scripture. So let, lest anybody think, though, that you have to read commentaries by great saints and theologians mm-hmm. and so on, I think that what you described as where you got your love of Scripture, probably a lot of people can say that they got their love of Scripture by hearing somebody else talk about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So just like maybe your students will get it from hearing you or maybe someone will get it from listening to this podcast. Who mm-hmm. knows? But thank you for sharing that, because that's a very unique kind of entry point into scripture. But the point is that the Lord wants to meet us in his word and he takes us where we are. So mm-hmm. maybe we have two parents who are theologians and he meets us through commentaries or, you know, maybe we've never heard the Bible at all. And he meets us through an ad at a football game. <laughs> My husband, the first Bible he had, he stole it from the from his church. He says he stole uh-huh. it. I don't know if that's really stealing. But anyway, took it from his church. And. He didn't want anyone to know he took it. So he'd read it at home in the bathroom where no one could see oh, it. Well, that's a very different entry point than <laughs> the one that I had growing up. But still, it was something about it that captivated him, right? And, and called to him from it to, to read me, read yeah. me. And so he did. So your parents are theologians, but I'm assuming they probably, did they read you scripture or did you have, you know, scripture growing up? Yes. So we had a very particular kind of evening <laughs> that centered on or finished by us doing night prayer. And mm. after night prayer, dad would always read to us. And he read all kinds of things. Mary Poppins, St. Augustine, right? Like we could say the <laughs> stories at bedtime were, were such a range of things. But we always prayed night prayer together as a family. So I'm, I'm the second oldest of seven. So all of us would be there. And we did this from the time that I was I can't even remember all the way. We still do it on Sundays when the family gets together. Nice. It's been a very formative part of life for us as a family. And I would say that that night prayer is my first real interaction in a regular way with the texts of scripture. Even before I could read them, right? I was hearing the same Psalms every night, every week, you know, week in, week out. And those images started to stay with me. So I, I had those all through my childhood forming my imagination about images like what so some of my favorites come from psalm 91 which is the the psalm for night prayer on sundays i could actually just read you a few lines and you'll hear them okay so it opens this way he who dwells in the shelter of the most high and abides in the shade of the almighty says to the lord my refuge my stronghold my god in whom i trust so these are some of the first images in my mind right um that he's a shelter that he abides, that he's my refuge and my stronghold. Mm. All beautiful sort of strong images that can 
nourish you and protect you in any stage of your life as you're growing up, right? As a five-year-old, this meant something to me. As a 15-year-old, this meant something to me. As a 25-year-old, it meant something to me. And it still does today and in a deeper, richer way because I've had this time to sort of live with the image. Mm, That's beautiful. Yeah, I feel blessed. (laughs) You know, you wrote a lovely introduction in the Women's Bible in which you ask the question, can scripture really set our hearts on fire with the love of God? And I like that question because um, I don't know that we always think of scripture as doing that. I mean, a lot of people are in love with God Mm -hmm. and maybe they don't read scripture. So I I just wonder if you could talk about that question a little bit and maybe, maybe give a few of the answers that you gave in that article, because you looked at that and then you said, how can scripture do that? Mm. And is there a way that we can enter into scripture and have our hearts set on fire with the love of God? Sure. Okay. So the primary way that scripture can do that is that we really believe God speaks to us through scripture, right? The Second Vatican Council gave us these really beautiful images of the text of scripture being a place of conversation. And so if we think about that, when we read scripture, we know that God is speaking to us Sometimes we have to slow down and and sort of be very attentive and listen for his voice as we're reading. But we know that that can happen, that that is happening. I also think in terms of this idea of of listening for God's voice and maybe someone doesn't feel familiar with scripture. We don't all read scripture all the time. We have to remember that God speaks to us through scripture, even in the mass. So even during the liturgy, we're, we're hearing God speak to us through these same words. And that oftentimes that is our first, well, I don't know if I should say oftentimes, I think it almost always is our first experience of scripture, right? Before I can read, I'm going to church and in my little five-year-old brain, I can be attentive. I'm hearing these images. I'm hearing God speak to me and I'm, I'm being given tools, right? A language with which to start to think about God and to speak to him. I think also that sort of original place of hearing scripture that it is the Mass and it's related to receiving the Eucharist, right? That you, you hear God and you receive Him in the same liturgical act is, is really important. It starts to nourish us, right? Whether we're aware of it or not, it is. It's, it's a sacramental liturgical life that, that forms us as, you know, spouses of Christ, children of God. And so I think that that original home for becoming familiar with Scripture is, is really important because we can take that then if we decide to start reading scripture, we can take that sort of space that we've lived in and that we've been nourished in home and, and read scripture with all of that already supporting us. Mm. So how would you encourage somebody? How then can you read it in such a way that it sets our hearts on fire? Yeah. So at first it might just feel like you're reading it, right? And in some ways you are, you have to get the story down. Mm. An example of this might be, so my kids are all in Catholic school. They're all in different grades now, fifth grade, third grade, first grade, pre-K. And when they started reading the stories of like for Adam and Eve, for example, they'd come home and have all these questions. At first, it made me nervous, right? Like there's so much depth here that you need to understand. And of course, here I am, this theology professor who thinks my kids have to know all this stuff. (laughs) But that's not where you start. You start by knowing the story. By being familiar with with the stories that are given to us through which we come to know God, 
And so as you read, you know, the story of Adam and Eve, and then you read things in the gospel, and then you read St. Paul, and then you read the book of Revelation, and you just know the storyline, you start to see, oh, there's these connections between the story of Adam and Eve, and even what I have here in the book of Revelation. And that might start, that might be one way that starts to do that, right? To see uh, sort of the the wholeness of the story and the trajectory of the story and that maybe the story is speaking to me. And right. So you start to be uh, enraptured by the story and enveloped within it yourself, right? It begins to speak to you. It's not just a story on a page. It's somehow this is my story. And the more it becomes your story, I think the more you, you recognize again, this space that's in there, that's there for you to dwell within and to speak to God within. And I think the more you discover that space and explore it, the more it really lights your heart on fire, right? Like, this is my creator. This is the one for whom I'm, I'm made, right? He's speaking to me, speaking to my heart, right? So and that happens just from these stories on this page. But you have to read them and hear yourself in them. Yeah. So is there one example of a time when God really spoke to you in scripture that you heard him speak to your heart in a special way? Well, if you don't mind me sharing something that is, I suppose, more on the personal level, if we went back to those images from Psalm 91, that idea of God being your shelter, right? Being your fortress, Mm -hmm. even further down in that Psalm, the way in which he will sort of not let you fall, not let you trip, that he will bear you up. Those images and an understanding of those became really important to me. So when my youngest child was born, I was diagnosed with cancer after she was born. They couldn't really figure it out before she was born because she was alive within me. But suddenly those images there had a new depth to them. And they were really things you could hold on to and that had a whole new meaning for me. So I suppose that's not necessarily lighting your heart on fire, but it's finding God really speaking to you within scripture and even in images that I've been familiar with for 35 years, right? So I think that's a, an example that means a lot to me. Yeah, it, I love the way over time, passages that you've read before over and over again mean nothing. And then all of a sudden it, it hit in your life and it just bursts into flame. Yeah, yeah, so. absolutely. And again, it's because it's God speaking. So yeah. Um, and he knows us and yeah. he wants to, he wants to speak to our life. So whether he's challenging us or encouraging us or giving us hope or strength, he knows that touch point. If we will just sit in that space and listen to him. Right. So here we are listening again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have a, a favorite book that you like to, or a, or a passage or something that you just go to again and again that you love to either on a personal level or to teach? So, yeah, one that I love to teach, but also comes to have a personal level in it is actually just the opening of Genesis. Hmm. I love the first creation story. I love how it reminds us of the goodness of creation, which I think is something we need so much all the time right now in our culture, right? The goodness of creation, the beauty of creation, the goodness of the creator. The text is so alive with that. But also, it's one of these texts that, you know, this is what I try to show my students anyway, that has so much space, right? It has so much space in it. So you can spend so much time with it and always be enriched always be sort of more on fire, if you could be more on fire. What do, you, what do you mean by that it has space in it? 
It sounds very cool, but I'm not quite sure what you mean. So what I mean by space is, for example, God said, let there be light and there was light. What does that mean? What does it mean even that God said something? Mm-hmm. Right? If you're thinking about, well, this is a time before creation because we're hearing a creation story. What does it mean that God said something? And so to think about that, to contemplate it, that God speaks with his word, that means that he's still calling me into existence right now. If he speaks that with his word, his eternal word, right? The sun. He's still calling to me. I'm still being created. I'm still growing in my goodness and in my perfection, right? So to dwell on that. So I guess in terms of like the space, we've moved from this idea that God said into the space of like, he's speaking to me, Mm. right? And then what does it mean? Let there be light. In some ways, it might mean let God reveal himself to you. In some ways, it might mean let the gospel into your life. In some ways, it might mean, Katie, reflect that light, right? So that's what I mean by space, that you can return to the same text and enter into it more deeply every time you read it, and therefore be nourished every time that you read it. And so that text does that for me often. Yeah, I really love it. Katie, one of those things I love about those first few verses of Genesis 1, and actually that whole chapter, is the way God says things and they happen. You know, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And I think when God speaks things today, they happen, which gives me hope, because maybe if he speaks something into my light, life, maybe my life is dark and I need light, and he says, let there be light, that it will actually make a change in me. And maybe that brings us back to that setting our hearts on fire, you know, that he speaks life to us and his word, actually, his word brings life in that way because it has power, same kind of power that he shows in Genesis 1. Absolutely. I mean, Paul calls it a living and effective word, right? Mm -hmm. God's word, he's speaking to you. And that absolutely should light your, your, your heart on fire. And if we want to think a little more about this image of, of light that we have in scripture, right? That's something we can, that we can pray with and think about. If God speaks his word into your, into your life and that lights you on fire, doesn't that make you a light? Yeah, that's good. Right? So I think that's mm-hmm. something else that he's, he's saying in this text is that if he says, let there be light, he's asking you to let there be light. Right? Both in receiving his word and then in reflecting that and offering that to other people. And that way you're kind of a living scripture. But of course, I take all this from an ancient theologian who is rather obsessed with the book of Genesis named St. Augustine. And he's (laughs) the one who showed me so many of these things in this text so that when I sit and I read it, I can sort of meditate on all the sort of layers, right, of what God is speaking to all of us in this text, and then especially to me. He finishes up his confessions with that, doesn't he? With something commentary on this passage? You're totally right. So the confessions is probably the one text by St. Augustine that most everybody knows. It is his confessions, right? It's the story of his life. And he tells us all kinds of things about his life, lots of embarrassing things, lots of beautiful things, all about his conversion. And at the end, so uh, book 13 of the Confessions is actually an allegorical interpretation of Genesis, which is kind of weird. I don't pick up too many modern day biographies where I get, you know, a biblical commentary as someone's last chapter on their life. What I think he's after there is to 
tell us his life, this conversion, and then say, that was my genesis, right? That whole time God mm. was calling to me, I just had to hear him say, let there be light, right? And when I heard that and I turned towards him and I decided, I'm going to talk to this God. I'm going to get to know him. I'm going to befriend him. I'm going to receive the Eucharist. Then he sort of became this light like we were just talking about, right? We, we read his confessions and we receive that from him, even in that text. So it's just so, I mean, friends, it's so fascinating, right? This whole world that's illuminated by, right? My world's illuminated by it. Your world's illuminated by it. It illuminates the world in which we live. I mean, how can we not love to read a text that's that powerful? Well, I'd love it if you would read just those first four verses of Genesis and let's let's pray with them, with those people who are listening. And mainly by praying, what I mean is meditate on them, ponder them a little bit, allow them to open up a space in which we consider how how they also are speaking about us and to us in this in this day today. So Genesis one, one to four. All right, I will read you these verses from the Bible I've bought to be a foundation student. Okay. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while the wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Thank you. And can you tell us what translation that was? I am actually reading from the NRSV since it's the one I bought. From the NRSV. Nice. Yeah. When we pray with it in a minute, I'm going to read it from the RSV CE, which is slightly different, but it has some interesting bits of difference. So at the end of verse, I guess it was three, you said the wind was moving over the face of the water. What was that? Yeah, while the wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Yeah, the wind from God. And in the RSVCE, it says the Spirit of God. So interesting explanation or description of, of the way in which the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. Mm -hmm. Very lovely. We can see, in a way, the whole Trinity here. We can see the Father, Creator. We can see the Spirit and also the Word, who, of course, is Jesus. All of them present. Okay, I am going to read that again. And if you're listening, maybe close, close your eyes. Allow the Word to speak to your heart and to open up that space in which you sit and listen, listen to Him speak to you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. I just ponder that for a moment and what it says, that life is like without the Spirit of, the, of God formless, void, and dark, and how what was true about the world then is true too about us. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. Think of how God noticed the formless void and the darkness, and his response was to go to it to move over it with intention. 
the Spirit of God moving over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. How has God made that difference? Or how might he make that difference for you? What are the dark places in your in your life where he might bring light? We thank you, Heavenly Father, for speaking light into our world, for lighting up creation and for banishing the darkness of sin. Thank you for the light of your word. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive and to ponder what you say to us in Scripture. Give us the grace that we need to live it out in our daily lives. Through Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. Amen. Katie, thank you for joining me today. And before we go, I would like to mention that you and Meg Hunter-Kilmer together have made several videos that will help people read the Bible. And the first one has been posted recently. And I wonder if you could just tell us very briefly what that's about and maybe a couple of the others that are to come. Oh, sure, Sarah. Also, it's a pleasure to be here with you today. (laughs) Um, So for the videos that we made, Meg Hunter-Kilmer and I, They are meant to help people to read scripture and in some very practical ways, right? To become familiar with what scripture is as God's word, that God speaks to us through it. How to kind of find your way around the Bible. We talk about that in one of the videos. So you can feel maybe familiar with a very (laughs) large text. Also, a video on these spaces I've been speaking about. In the video, we talk about them as layers or senses to scripture, right? Mm. So I can read the story on the page. And then I can read it more deeply. And the videos even have very practical things like, well, what kind of Bible would I like? Can I write in my Bible? But even amidst all this practical information, it's really meant to invite us to live with the word, right? To read it, to receive it liturgically, to start to make it a space in which we converse with God as regularly as we can. And hopefully have our hearts lit on fire. Amen. Amen. So that the first video is on the importance of scripture and why reading the word is a beautiful way to encounter him. So that one has been posted and we will put a link in the show notes so that you can find it there. And just finally, thank you so much. It's been wonderful talking to you, Katie. Thank you. And to you, Sarah. So happy to be here. Thanks, friends, for listening in. This is Sarah Chris Meyer, and this has been Living the Word Bible Podcast. Thank you for listening. I hope you will join me every Thursday for more conversations with women who love and live God's word. And you can also join our Instagram community at Living the Word Bible. If you have the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible, you can read Katie's article called Illuminating Fire right before the introduction to the Old Testament. And if you don't have it, but would like to, it's available to you now for the special price of $59.95 and free shipping. Just go to Ave Maria Press and use the promo code BIBLEPODCAST. The offer expires at the end of 2023. May God richly bless you as you read His Word. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.